Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, Matt and Ryan look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words. Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do. But we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? A trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. My name's Ryan Placetti, and I'm here to deflect the asteroid of the internet stupidity from snuffing you from this earth. And I'm Matt Saint Singh, and I'm so excited to bring you, the listener, an episode that has quite literally been 365 million years in the making. That's right. Today is a very special day. It's Dinosaur Day. All dinosaurs, all day. I couldn't be more. I could be more excited if I if I saw one in person. Yeah, uh, there is one thing that I think both of us have carried forth from our childhood and maintained into adulthood, and that is a fascination. And that's depression. That's depression. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say an appreciation for our Saurian ancestors. That too. That too. <laughs> it, so. Our first topic today is actually coming from a meme that I found on Facebook, and we will be posting this one to Instagram today. Make sure you're following us there. We post all of our memes that we talk about. Ideally, yes. Uh, Assuming we're not grossly incompetent, which is sometimes the case. Yeah. Roll the dice. Yeah. We'll see. Matt Matt is way better at social media than I am because. Oh, thank you. Well, he's able to overcome his disdain of social media (laughs) In order to to post interest generating content. And I find that a far more difficult hurdle. Yeah, it really has. It really just lays bare the fact that I am dead inside when I go on social media. (laughs) (laughs) The meme that we're looking at today is two. It looks to be uh, they are long neck dinosaurs. If I were to if I were to speciate them, is that the word? Species. I think uh, if, if I were to classify, if I were to say, go deep into the taxonomy of these giant lizards, I, I, I think that we would both agree that these are brachiosaurs based on the, the 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 ridge at the top of their head. They don't have a flat head. They have a they have uh, presumably I don't know is there a nostril up there or something? This is a really blurry image. I think that these aren't real pictures of the dinosaurs, so they are illustrations. But I was going to say Brachiosaur, too, because they do have that hump. I don't know if there's um, nostrils up there or if it's just like where they keep their car keys or something. Maybe they have an extra set of nostrils up there so that way they can get a second opinion on smells. Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. That'd be a cool topic. biological feature. We should we should make that. We, we should put that in the recommendations box. At church, oh, the dinosaur of re- dinosaur recommendations. Hey, you should make one. <laughs> we go, we go, we go to church, an intelligent design church, not a creationist church. And then in in the suggestions box, we'll put more nostrils, please. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it a cokeosaurus. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> as a kind you find in Hollywood. <laughs> Up by the La Brea tar pits. <laughs> but anyway, this, so this this meme that we've been talking about without describing for two minutes. Yeah. Uh, has two long neck dinosaurs. They're identical in every way, except that one is wearing a necktie underneath its jawline. 
And one is wearing a necktie right above the shoulders. The second one is like almost near its breast. If it's like a if that, like, like, like the same way that like birds are set up, you know, this thing's set up more like a cow, I think, or a giraffe. But anyway, the text on it says, OK, comma, this is a serious debate. <laughs> and then it has a number one and a number two. So it's it's inviting people to say, is one the appropriate place for it to wear the tie or is two the appropriate place for it to wear the tie? Yeah, is it up near its neck or down near its torso? And it's got such a long neck. And I mean, you could just as easily make this meme about giraffes, too. Yeah, yeah. So any creature with an elongated neck could potentially be a candidate for this meme. But in this case, it's dinosaurs, which fills me with delight. Uh, It fills everyone with delight. Who doesn't like dinosaurs? Well, I guess creationists, I guess. But no, I've been to the creationist museum. There's tons of dinosaurs there living side by side with humans. I would love to just get inebriated and then go to this museum it's got to be a hoot it's got to be a hoot it was an absolute blast i would go again i would give ken ham another of my 20 dollars so that he could spread misinformation about the evolution of dinosaurs well he wouldn't do it for free but (laughs) yeah uh no i I went there probably i want to say in 2008 It would have been 2008. And for those of you who don't know, Ken Ham and the Answers in Genesis Foundation have a creation museum that's probably about 25 minutes outside of Cincinnati uh, across the border in Kentucky. I don't like to talk about my day job a whole lot, but my uh, it's headquartered uh, not that far from the creation museum. And I think of the next time I go, I'm going to set half a day aside if I have some downtime and really check this out. You don't need that much time. (laughs) (laughs) If you got 20 minutes and $20. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So you, you walk in and you got animal electronic dinosaurs everywhere. And one of the things that really stood out for me, and I've I've got pictures of this, we'll have to throw this up on Instagram too, but it's got kids wearing animal skins or like playing in the water. And then like 15 feet away, there's an obviously carnivorous raptor type dinosaur. (laughs) It's just like that kid's going to die because even if you argue that the dinosaurs are in the Garden of Eden and everything's peaceful and and like a lot of Christians and and scholars will tell you that everyone in the Garden of Eden was a vegetarian. Some some of them will just to justify the, the presence of carnivorous animals which would kill more like the more like the garden of eaten am i right (laughs) the garden of not eaten everyone's hungry because nobody's uh, they're like i've had enough potatoes thank you i what i really look what i'm really looking for is a child steak yeah Um, yeah so what i what i find really interesting about that is because the children are wearing clothes they are the children of adam and eve yeah. Right. So this is clearly a scene taking place after the fall because Adam and Eve don't have children and they don't feel I embarrassed gotcha. for their nakedness until after they've been ejected from the Garden of Eden, which means those kids are literally on that raptor's menu. Interesting. I guess did these dinosaurs, did they where was their neckties? We can answer this question right now. The, none of the dinosaurs were dressed. They felt no embarrassment oh. for their nakedness. Well, then that's how you know it's not real. That's how you know it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I don't think. I don't think these dinosaurs in the meme are feeling embarrassment for their nakedness because they're not wearing any other part of the suit. It is just the necktie. Yeah. And I think when I look at this picture, I am firmly, firmly in camp one. I think if a dinosaur, if this specific dinosaur were to wear a tie, it would be up near its Adam's apple. Okay. well, I am actually going to take the opposite stance and say I am a number two which is necktie. You are number two. (laughs) Necktie at the bottom of the neck above the shoulders. I have reasons. This necktie of Trumpian length. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Our 
our now former president slash would be dictator uh, has a penchant for long ties that go well below his belt line. Uh, you you my, better be careful. You're talking about the next president of the United States. You better be careful. <laughs> and the president after that and the president after yeah. that if he has his way. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be Donald Trump's tiny, tiny brain in a tiny, tiny jar governing our country. Oh, oh God. <laughs> All right. So my reasoning for putting the necktie at the bottom is relative to like if, if we're going to create an analog of human physique. Yep. That tie is going to be correctly placed for more body parts. So if you look at the length of the tie, it looks like it's going to hit mid abdomen. It's sitting right above the shoulders. It's at the base of the neck, which are all places that a human would have a necktie relative to the body. Yeah. So I, I guess my question is, is would you would it be an acceptable answer to be in camp one, the, the necktie up near the the neck? Right. Um, what if that tie was just way longer? Like it was a Donald Trump tie. What if it was just way longer to go down to his midsection? Would you would that be acceptable in your eyes? Because, I mean, you just said the reason why has to do with the relative uh, mm-hmm. side, the coverage of, of said tie. So if you just, it's a longer dinosaur, a longer well, neck, I, you need a longer tie. I think if you're talking about a like a Victorian era tie where they have high stiff collars, maybe. I'm talking about a Victorian dinosaur that has like tea and crumpets is very a, a, refined. A Victorian dinosaur. That's 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 a dinosaur with bones from a bunch of other animals mixed in because they haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Man, I, I'm so excited for the seven people who are going to get that joke. <laughs> but I, I'm one of them, though, so it's funny. It's it's, it's a necktie, a monocle and somebody else's arm. It's uh, like a, a, a Barocosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> a different or a different period but i'll I'll allow it i'll let it slide let it slide that is a, yeah. that is a phenomenal pun congratulations thank you thank you yeah so i i think if you had like a high stiff necktie maybe but when you and i wear suits to work every day two times a year when i wear a suit yeah when we go to our Mad Men style office on fifth avenue and drink scotch at two o'clock in the afternoon and just objectify only the oh, i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna make that joke i'm not even gonna make that joke you're not, gonna, you're not even gonna notionally objectify the male and female workers because i mean i think as long as we objectify male and female workers equally it's okay to have our Mad Men moment i feel like don draper definitely was a dinosaur like antiqu like his like how he drunkenly stumbled through his career right <laughs> i don't i'd like i don't want to this is tough for me because I want to talk about John Hamm's penis. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, you and me both, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, although it has been a topic of public discussion, I don't necessarily think that it's in good taste. I would say that what I expect John Hamm's penis to be like is well, probably got a lot of use, so it's probably calloused, but it probably like the, like, the hand, well, like, like the hands of like a working class man. And uh, well oiled. I think it's just very well maintained. It's got like a nice sheen on it. It's like a pomade or. or (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's like Axe body spray. (laughs) No, it's not Axe body spray. It's classy. It's like it's like pomade. It's pomade with like a splash of Old Spice. It's that Old Spice you get in a can like it's the 60s. It's cutting edge technology. If there's any part of John Hamm's body that is most like a dinosaur, it'd be his big old dino dick. Yep. Wow. Well, um, John Hamm, congratulations. Yeah. uh, Congratulations, John Hamm. Like, seriously, have you seen pictures of this thing? No, I, I, I've never seen pictures of John Hamm's dick, and I want this section cut because I don't want my girlfriend to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I, I'm not going to look at his dick. I'm not going to look at Ham it. John Hamm hog. I'm just going to Google John Hamm's John hog. John Hamm hog. 
going ham hog on Mad Men. <laughs> So this is just a Google image search of John Ham Hogg. It's his face superimposed on a pig, I hope. Um, all right. Um, Jesus Christ. Some guys have all the luck. <laughs> I mean, he just won the genetic lottery. Honestly, he's also a funny guy, so I really hope he's just like trolling the world with his giant <laughs> dino dick, right? Because I, mean, I could believe that he's into some stuff like that, but okay. <laughs> wow. Speaking of long neckers, right? <laughs> It's the most controversial thing that we can that, that, that well, I don't know. He did do that blackface episode of uh, 30 Rock. Oh, oh, I didn't see that one. I'm going to not say it's really funny. Gotcha. OK, well, I I'm going to say that I'm not going to look it up as soon as we get done with this. So, <laughs> um, No. So uh, back back to the dinos, if, 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 if I may. Oh, you mean the topic of this conversation? <laughs> yeah. So I would say that in the world famous Carnegie Museum, there is a in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there is a statue of what looks like a long neck dinosaur. It doesn't have the hump. So we'll just say it's a brontosaur and it has a scarf on. And the scarf is at the top of the neck of where where I say a tie should go. So there's already like public record of examples. All right, of so you're, this. you're saying there's a, there's an established academic position for this. I think it's canon. you can turn yeah. to, you can turn to the scholarship. Hey, hey Matt. Yeah. Uh, how do you get to the Carnegie Museum? Practice. Uh, you fall into a tar pit. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No. Um. So, so you know, I, I, I think, I think it's an interesting question. It's kind of like the, uh, or is a hot dog a sandwich debate? It's kind of like that. Well, I think the hot dog is a sandwich, not yeah. not even up for debate. But I, I, I think I, I think even using that example of the scarf at the Carnegie Deli, um, <laughs> <laughs> I could play this game all day. <laughs> there's so many there's so many things named after Andrew Carnegie. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that Carnegie Deli probably isn't even is that named for him? I I don't know. Because like, I mean, Carnegie Deli is like a like a Jewish delicatessen. But like Carnegie is mm. a very Scottish name. Yeah, yeah. You got to figure he had to be anti-Semitic, too. There's no way he wasn't. Oh, gosh, I'm not going to I'm not going to point fingers at him because I think anybody who wasn't Jewish in yeah. the early 20th oh, century God. in America was probably anti-Semitic. Well, as, as as long as we are, we've established that we're not going to finger Carnegie. I think we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, the uh, I, I think having established that the, the scarf is at the top of the neck is fine because you would want to keep your entire neck warm. When you wear a scarf, you wear your scarf at the top. When you wear a tie, you wear it at the bottom. Yeah. So guess... final, final answer. Let's consign this to history. Let's okay. enshrine the bones of this conversation inside of a sedimentary mess in that it may one day be utterly replaced by stone and put on display. Yeah, yeah. I've got a bone to pick with a Reddit question that is submitted on r slash no stupid questions, a spring well where we love to mine content from. Uh, well, and a spring well, you would draw content up in a bucket and then I drink knew it. I as I was saying it, I knew the, the analogy was falling apart, but I was like, you know, you're it's like you're not that di di dickish that you're going to call me out well, on it. Right. Turns out you are. You look at Don, you look at John Ham Dick over here. <laughs> <laughs> We need to leave John Ham's penis alone. Uh, I would never. I would never. Anyway, um, <laughs> Predator Sane 11 asks, are fossil fuels really old dinosaur bones? One of the most widespread beliefs about fossil fuels, which is, you know, oil, natural gas and coal, uh, is that these were once living, breathing dinosaurs who had, you know, decayed and then just became fossil fuels. Right. That is actually a, a myth and a misconception. Well, 
Yeah, I think that's that. I, I think the misconception is derived from the term fossil having a very narrow definition in the minds of most people in, in terms of popular science. The average American thinks of the word fossil. They definitely think of like giant the bones of giant lizards walking around. Right. There are a lot of fossils that predate dinosaurs. Fossils is just like a massive you know, umbrella term. Doesn't just mean like tyrannosaur, you know. Right. We definitely have fossils of plants also. And Absolutely. And other- coral. Coral. Yeah. Organisms that don't have skeletons can be fossilized. Absolutely. Up in Michigan, they have the Petoskey Stone, which is a imprint of a coral that is older than dinosaurs. You can walk along the beach and find it. it's really fascinating. Oh, wow. But yeah, yes, they're called Petoskey Stones. I think it might be the state fossil of Michigan. I'm into rocks, by the way. So I, I, I dig them, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, when I was an archaeologist, they used to sell T-shirts for us that say archaeologists don't dig dinosaurs. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like did some archaeologist kid write that and they're like, I'll put it on a T-shirt. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's probably some archaeologist dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or an archaeologist and a dad, a dinosaur in the industry, maybe. It is true that, that these fossil fuels absolutely got their start when dinosaurs were walking the earth. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what fossil fuels are. OK. Fossil fuels, um, they store energy in the bonds between atoms. And when you burn them, it breaks these bonds apart, creating energy. Let's talk about these really ancient prehistoric plants. Uh, They're green plants. They locked up solar energy through the magic of photosynthesis millions and millions of years ago. Animals ate some of these plants and that moves the energy up the food web. And then other plants just uh, died and decayed. But when these organisms, when they die, they're turned into fossil fuels. Geoscientist from the Colorado School of Mines in Golden, Colorado, says that the conditions must be right, including an oxygen-free environment and a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golden, Colorado, also the home of Coors beer. Oh, I'm a big fan. I'm actually going to Denver for a vacation this fall, and I'm super excited to go to the Denver National History Museum where they have a mine exhibit presented by Coors. <laughs> Coors. <laughs> of yeah, course yeah. they do. Oh, uh, <laughs> hey um, No, so the coal we burn today is about 300 million years old, again, when dinosaurs roam the earth, but dinosaurs are not coal. Plants in swamps and bogs, they died. It is eventually turned into peat after heat and pressure. That peat is transformed into coal. So most of the coal we're burning today, like 99% of it, are just really old dead plants. Okay, but there there is a possibility that like a dinosaur or two fell into the peat bog and then got pressurized and uh, and was in the right conditions to be turned into oil. So some of that some of that oil could biologically be, come from dinosaurs, right? Definitely is definitely a possibility. I just think that is such an outlier. I mean, like well over 99% of, of the coal, you know, so the coal is mined in like West Virginia and other parts of Appalachia. But, um, you know, that is like from prehistoric forests, right, mm-hmm. is essentially what that was. Um, but so that, that's coal. That is just one fossil fuel. Uh, but there's also real quickly, I'll hit petroleum, which is uh, oil and natural gas. This actually comes from prehistoric seas, you know, plankton lived died and sank to the bottom of the ocean. Debris and other aquatic shit just like fell over on top of it, covered it, and it formed uh, a black tar uh, and and also kerogen. The black tar is one of the ingredients you have to have for petroleum. So most of the the fossil fuels we burn today are just, you know, really old and really dead, small organisms of life or plants. Uh, Not a whole lot of things that had brains and central nervous systems eventually became fossil fuels. Okay, so I I think that pretty well answers the question. It's uh, yeah, it's not so much that dinosaurs are turning into fossil fuels. You wouldn't have enough dinosaurs. The biomass wouldn't be there to produce the 
sheer volume of fossil fuels, both in liquid and solid forms. Absolutely. And I mean, it kind of makes sense that there's a little bit of a misconception here because we again, we, we talk about burning fossil fuels and people think they're burning dinosaurs. Uh, there's also the Sinclair Oil Company, it's an old gas station company. They have like a brontosaur as their logo, right? Because, A, you know, if you, if you want to sell anything, just throw a dinosaur on it and people are going to look at it. It's just it's inherently interesting. So, yeah. And then the Sinclair Oil Company is actually the namesake. Like, do you remember the Jim Henson show Dinosaurs that came on in the early 90s? I absolutely loved it. I just have really good memories of watching that show like with my dad and us laughing our asses off. It, it, it's a great show. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I show it to my kids. But that show was constructed around a an environmentalist critique, uh, particularly of the fossil fuel industry. And the family, the, the central family there, the Sinclair family is named for the dinosaur logo gas company. Absolutely. Earl Sinclair is the, 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 the patriarch of this dino family. Earl, Fran, Robbie, Charlene and baby Sinclair. Uh, but uh, there, yep. there's other characters that are named for fossil fuel companies. There is there's his Tyrannosaurus best friend, Roy Hess, named for, you know, the Hess Oil Company. Well, wow, I feel like mine. I should go back and watch this show again. It's it, it's amazing. Everyone should watch this show. It, it was a groundbreaking show and it did. Uh, and it commented a lot on social issues. It, it reminds me a lot of Roseanne. It's structured a lot like Roseanne, like Charlene and Darlene. Yep, yep, yep. And Earl Sinclair is clearly just John Goodman in like green face paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, for sure. I, again, I, I mean, since we're talking about this, uh, I'm about to spoil a little bit of it. So if you if you want to watch a series, just fast forward through this part. But the final episode, the series ending. Do you remember the series ending uh-huh. of, the, of the show? I sure do. It is so good. And it's also like super fucking sad. It's like, you know, uh, the world is ending. Dinos- the time of dinosaurs is coming to a close. And at the very last scene, I remember they're all just like huddling as like nuclear winter is, is being imposed on them. And they're like, wow, I'm very cold. What's going to happen next? And you're like, oh, I mean, I was like a little kid just bawling my eyes out because <laughs> these these dinosaurs that I've lo- I've learned to love over the years are just coming to an end. And it really is like an allegory of what is happening to the planet in real time, really slowly right now. And it's not just a message that comes out of nowhere. Like I said, the uh, the names themselves are references to oil companies. And then yeah. Earl and Roy, their actual literal job is pushing over trees. Yeah. Yeah. And they're pushing over trees so that they can be compressed and then millions of years from now be oil. So, yeah, it's it, it's very smart show. It's a very smart show. It's, it's there the entire time. They're, they've got episodes and they deal with a lot of social issues. Uh, they deal with acceptance of homosexuality, masturbation, treatment of senior citizens, marital fidelity. With the senior citizens one, I remember there was like a certain time where you're supposed to push your mother-in-law over a cliff, right? <laughs> it's called hurling day. It's called hurling yeah, that's day. Right. That's right. <laughs> and one of the one of Earl's one of Earl's like uh, uh, co-workers is like, oh hey, push with your knees, and they're like joking about it. It's like so funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just take their old people and they throw them off a cliff to keep them from dragging the herd back, which it yeah. goes back to like ancient dinosaur times. And you know, the show is constantly asking you to re-examine your own place in society and re-examine the traditions. So in that sense, even though it's 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 a very forward-looking show that is looking backwards to dinosaurs in order to create a stand-in for, you know, your your everyday people. And they work as this kind of Trojan horse for uh, really self-reflection in society. And the Dinosaurs TV series isn't the only place that this sort of playing around with the 
social cachet of dinosaurs comes into play. I think that you wanted to talk a little bit about feminism in Jurassic Park. So Jurassic Park, um, I mean, if if you've never heard of Jurassic Park, I don't know what you're doing with your life right now, but go watch the original Jurassic Park. It is as close to a perfect movie that I think I can think of thing, because I think Jurassic Park is a really good feminist movie, and it's a story about gender and modernity in our times. Okay. Jurassic Park breaks a lot of rules, especially when you're talking about the movies that come out in the mid-90s, you know? Okay. And I, I, th- I think I kind of just want to go through a little bit of a timeline of the uh, movie, and along the way, I'm going to pick out nuggets of, of what I would say, I would call feminism, actually. In an early scene where you have the two paleontologists... Uh, you have Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, and you have Ellie Sattler, who's played by Laura Dern. Um, they're obviously a couple. Um, I don't think they're married. I don't think it's actually ever established. They're, they're colleagues, and they I are... Got, I got the impression they were boning, but they hadn't locked it down. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were... Like, they spent uh, yeah. 100... Like, they're, they're, they're paleontologists. They spent 100% of their time boning, one way yeah. or another. Yeah, definitely. Um, they established the sheer sexuality of Dr. Grant at the beginning when he's using yeah. that ground penetrating radar. Oh, yeah. He's, he's just penetrating Mother Earth with that radar dick. He's like, he's like, <laughs> I am. I am just I'm going to I'm looking for a thumbprint of the Earth. Right. And so he went out and find, found one um, when when John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, by the way. Yes. One of those Attenboroughs. He can't he comes and tries to persuade these two paleontologists to come to an island off the coast of Costa Rica. And he's in their trailer. They're presumably in Montana or the Badlands or somewhere you can find dinosaurs. Yeah, he's a really rich guy. And Ellie, who is in the kitchen, he's like, oh, let me let me let me make you a drink. He literally kicks her out of the kitchen and says, no, no, no. I know my way around the kitchen. So right off the bat, they are breaking up a perceived gender norm of the kitchen being in the women's realm. Yeah. He is in the kitchen getting this. So I think that's something I noticed when I was a kid. I was like, oh, that's kind of I grew up again in the 90s at a time where, you know, the kitchen was associated in popular culture with with femininity and with your mother, really. Yeah, and I, I, I think that speaks to the character's progressiveness. Like he's he's advancing science. He's like he's moving the human experience forward. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it yeah. speaks to it speaks to the fact that he is transgressive in the way that he operates. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think when you fast forward, they come to the island where their minds are blown up after seeing a real living, breathing dinosaur. But there's a couple of other people that come along the trip, uh, like uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, Malcolm, who seems like this like suave philosopher type. He is just like he kind of oozes sex appeal. He's not like the nerdy scientist that Dr. Grant is. I, right? I would still say he's still a nerdy scientist. And Dr. Grant did threaten yeah. to cut a 10 year old's belly open with a velociraptor claw in the first five minutes of the film. Oh, that that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> so there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of toxic masculinity going on there, too. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Malcolm, he definitely objectifies Ellie Sattler uh, upon their first meeting. He uses the line. I refuse to believe that you, Dr. Sattler, know nothing about the concept of attraction. She kind of blushes a little bit, but she walks this fine line that I think women walk in society. Uh, they're they're being subject to the male gaze at the time. They're resisting it and they're also responding to it in times out of a way to kind of as a defense mechanism, really. But I think turnabout's fair play when uh, whenever a loud white woman screams inappropriately at a drag show, she is subjecting <laughs> the male gaze to her unseemly behaviors. Yeah. Um, when you say the male gaze, are you talking about like, the you know, verb what I'm talking. Or the noun? <laughs> <laughs> Ellie 
flirts back with Malcolm while he essentially mansplains the chaos theory to her. But she takes him by surprise by finishing off his own theory about God, dinosaurs and man with woman inherits the earth. So I think that that right there. Yeah, yeah, she does. She flirts back in. Yes, she does. She kind of reclaims her femininity and her sexuality, if you will. Right. It's empowering. She's not being objectified. She is leaning into it, if you will. Yeah, because he's 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 a cool guy. He doesn't necessarily mean ill, but he is he is certainly perpetuating certain stereotypes and 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 classifying her in a way like I, I don't think he necessarily I don't think he disrespects her. But I think he puts her scientific qualifications at, at an equal level with her value to him as a sexual partner. I mean, it's kind of like a bro, right? He's clearly a ladies man. He's got this cool leather jacket, right? And he seems cooler than Dr. Grant. I'll just say that. Right? He is absolutely cooler than Dr. Grant, but he's cool in a bad boy, <laughs> like a bad boy of the English department at Harvard sort of way. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, he, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he, he's he's the bad boy that every MIT guy wishes he could be. <laughs> And, you know, one of the money lines, he says he's always on the lookout for the future ex Mrs. Malcolm. Right. So that kind of that kind of tells you where he's coming with this. Yeah. But I think thus uh, Laura Dern's character, Ellie Sattler, it's a complicated figure about sexism in survival situations. I mean, one Jurassic Park is a movie in the 90s where I would say the female characters are not really sexualized, um, despite them being on an island off the coast of Costa Rica. She's not wearing super short shorts. All right. They're not accentuating her breasts. Um, uh, so really, there's only two female characters. There's Dr. Sattler and then there's a, a, a young girl. Lexi. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is interesting because they kind of um, the juxtaposition between those two characters is really interesting. Again, Ellie Sattler takes this leadership role. She is in very in very many ways a hero of the film who saves uh, the rest of the characters. And Lexi kind of represents this younger woman who is just like very unsure. She's anxious. She's nervous throughout the whole film. She's always, you know, telling her brother, don't do this, don't do that. She's also very interested in technology, too. So I I think there's more to this movie than just dinosaurs, right? Yeah. I I can kind of go on and on about this, but I want to edit myself a little bit. How do they control the breeding? Right. So you have B.D. Wong's character, right, a scientist who says there is no unauthorized breeding in Jurassic Park. And they do this by making every single dinosaur in the park female. So you already have male scientists trying to control the reproductive lives of these dinosaurs. And I would say the dinosaurs represent like feminists in this film. I, I, I think when you're talking about the, the relationship of men versus women in STEM subjects, it, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. have male scientists creating female dinosaurs that they control. They control every aspect of uh, procreation, which is a hallmark of the patriarchy. One hundred percent. You know, we talk about animals and these dinosaurs are animals, right? You remember um, Nedry, the, yeah. the Seinfeld character? Uh, what's his name? He's Norman, right? No, no. That's that's cheers. Newman, 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 Newman. Newman. Yeah. So so uh, I'm not a Seinfeld. Gotcha. Gotcha. No. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. We should do an episode about Seinfeld. But anyway, um, Nedry, who's again played by Newman in Seinfeld, his attitude towards women is made evident by the screensaver he has of a woman clad in zebra print bikini uh, against the zebra print background. So to him, women are animals and nothing else. They are 
objects of flesh, right? And I think that is just, that's something they put in purposefully. No one stumbled upon that fact on accident, right? As a matter of fact, Newman is killed by a Dilophosaurus, uh, which essentially ejaculates in his face, blinding him and then eats him, right? So one of those satisfying things you've ever seen on while film. He's trying to, while he's essentially trying to uh, smuggle dinosaur embryos. Yeah, absolutely. He's trying to take these, uh, I mean, zygotes, right? Is essentially what they are. Yeah, so he, he's taking the dinosaur embryos and then he gets killed by a woman. Yep, by, by a woman that he mistakes to be friendly at first, yeah. right? And the Dilophosaurus, who's kind of, you know, she's being very playful, almost trying to trick, uh, and then she goes in for the kill, right? So I think that is just indicative of what people like Nedry face and what they should face in their daily and that, lives, that's right? Not the only, that's not the only man trying to control dinosaurs that gets uh, killed by a tricky female. Either. Absolutely. You you have the they have like this crocodile Dundee character, right? And he's killed by Velociraptors. Kind of a of Chris Pratt's character in the new Jurassic World series. Yeah, it's essentially the Jurassic World is, is not a feminist movie, by the way. So that's that's a whole nother discussion. The whole clever girl is his last words, right? As he's getting eaten by, you know, so I think, you know, it, it really just turns up the volume on yeah. women being smart pack like killers. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, no. and that scene mirrors the uh, Dr. Grant's prediction at the beginning of the film. We talked about how he terrifies a 10 year old with a giant velociraptor claw slitting the belly open. But the, yep. that flanking maneuver is exactly what he describes at the beginning of the film, forming a sort of Chekhov's dinosaur that that, that gets yeah. the payoff once the dinosaurs break out and the most capable hunter on the island is immediately just taken out. Again, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, a good, it's an interesting callback to the beginning of the film. I had not really put that together until you said that. We should watch Jurassic Park again sometime, man. I'm a big fan. No, so anyway, these dinosaurs are female, but they find dinosaur eggs as they're trying to, to escape from their uh, impending death of being eaten by giant lizards. And so Dr. Grant sees eggs and he's like, how is this possible? And of course, because he's a scientist in a movie, he just happens to know that some. Uh, so earlier in the movie, we learned that to complete the DNA sequence of dinosaurs, they cut it with uh, DNA from frogs. Right. And of course, when Dr. Grant stumbles upon these eggs, he immediately puts it together for the audience that, oh, well, there's some species of West African frogs that are known to change sexes so they can breed. So some of these animals presumably are transgender. Right. And they're they're changing their 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 sexes yeah. so they can so they can breed and life finds a way. So even though these men are trying to control the reproductive rights of these feminist dinosaurs, they kind of reclaim their own autonomy. Life finds a way. Ian Malcolm is the first person to say this is a terrible fucking idea. And, yeah, that's interesting, too. You know, when I think um, with Malcolm's character, he just has these ridiculously gendered ideas. Right. It, it, it's, it's very it's very evident he sort of flirt uh, he flirts with uh dr statler he objectifies her a little bit but he always has an intense respect that he is reinforcing throughout the film but i think also too it, it is worth noting that ellie and grant's romantic relationship does not define her role in the film at all she is there as a, as a professional scientist who knows her shit Right. Um, there is no big kiss. Yeah. There are no declarations of of love. Um, there's almost no relationship drama. The between only the Ellie only declaration that they make at the end of the film is a Tyrannosaurus Rex roaring as the banners fall around it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that's absolutely. the declaration at the end. That's yes. the big that's the big emotional scene. You're supposed to look at the terrifying majesty of nature and quiver. 
Absolutely. I think I'd seen on screen up until this point, there's a mostly like two dimensional characters, almost like the Disney princesses, right? You know, you have singing nuns, right? You know, I, female characters, especially in the 90s, they were two dimensional and they were, you know, caretakers and they were lovers, right? And that's much it. And this is the first time that I think as a young boy that I really kind of, you know, saw this, saw the how women were portrayed in popular culture in a different way. And I think it made an impression, hopefully on a lot of a lot of people out there. Yeah. And now, do you put any do you assign any meaning to the return to the kitchen later on where the children are hiding in the kitchen and then they're yeah. like, oh, there's we're, we're safe in here. And then the raptor like learns how to open doors, learns yeah. how to open doors yeah. and then gets into the kitchen. You realize you cannot escape this this dinosaur's domain. Yeah. I definitely thought about that, and I kind of don't know where I fall on that because they go to the kitchen just to find food because they've been running for dinosaurs for days at this point, right? And and at the same time, you also have uh, John Hammond who created the dinosaurs. He's like, I know my way around a kitchen, and then his creation knows its way around the kitchen too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Getting back a little bit to Laura Dern's how she's how she how, how Ellie Sattler how she looks in the film. She doesn't wear a pretty dress. She's not in heels. You know, she has a pair of practical hiking boots, shorts and a baggy T-shirt. Um, she also has glasses. Shocking horror. Right. Uh, she, she she was happy to wear whatever she needs to do, even if it means sticking her arm elbow deep into dinosaur doo doo. That's oh, yeah, that's right. To try to find the sick triceratops. Her hair, you know, it, it wasn't perfectly styled. It was tied up. It was out of the way you know, in a ponytail for most of the film. Right. Um, her makeup was minimal, also non-existent. So I just think, you know, all of these together kind of just lead me to believe that Jurassic Park really is a message uh, about, about feminism that you really wouldn't expect when you go see an action movie about cool dinosaurs. You've got me convinced. Awesome. Well, you know, if, if I could have done that, then I can't convince you of anything. So if I had done this, then I have really done. No, I, I'm, I, really I, done I'm absolutely uh, I'm on board. I can't think of any major point where I where I differ from you. Uh, so if you have any theories about popular films from the 80s and 90s vis-a-vis -vis their level of feminist ideology or or coded patriarchal messages, you can go ahead and reach us at wreckyourpod at gmail.com to tell us all about it. But you know where else you can find us? You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are Wreck Your Pod on all three. And make sure you're following us on all three because we post different things to different places. I know. We like to mix it up a little bit. Uh, I tweeted. I actually tweeted Miley Cyrus yesterday. I saw that. I, I, I appreciated it. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to find out what I said to Miley Cyrus, go ahead and check out our Twitter and follow us. You can be our 21st follower, the lucky person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Twitter has not been our most successful launch of the social media platforms, and that's OK because Twitter is a garbage field. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a cesspool. I yeah. mostly just log in and Twitter prioritizes Jim Jordan's tweets for me because I oh. angrily answer all of them because that man is a waste of space. I'm not I, I'm not going to touch uh, legislative stuff because I do some of the stuff for work, so I'm not going to talk shit about politicians. I'm going to talk shit about Jim Jordan. I think he is a piece of shit, yeah. and that's okay. Uh, yep. The great state of Ohio has elevated a Twitter troll to one of the most esteemed bodies in our land. He also represents one of the most gerrymandered districts in the country. Yeah, yeah. that that helps. Yeah. We would like to thank Rick Reynolds for the use of his song "United" from the album Por "Portals in Progress." You can find it wherever you find your music, probably. Yeah. And, you know, one that's really convenient about that, you can also find our podcast at those places. I'm thinking places like Apple, iTunes, Amazon Music, 
Spotify. Try to think of another one. Deezer. This one French one. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if Rick's on Deezer, but we are. <laughs> Rick might not be on Deezer. But if you find yourself on the internet wondering whether you should share something, but it seems too wrong, too weird, or too good to be true, and you can't wait for our next episode, well then, between now and then, check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart, and it won't change. Oh